Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, if you're interested in Walter's music. Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVM-FM on Wall Street in downtown Asheville. We appreciate it. Couldn't do these shows without you. So, thank you very, very much. And if you would like to reach out to me, nave at jamesnave.com, that's my email. jamesnave.com is, of course, my website. If you'd like to visit my website and find out more about what I'm up to, feel free. Also, if you are so moved to join me any Saturday morning with my creative collaborator, Allegra Houston, for our Imaginative Storm Writing Prompt of the Week session, we'd love to have you. We gather every Saturday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and noon Eastern Time, and we work for an hour. We write for only 10 minutes using a prompt that we offer you. Sometimes it's a sound file, sometimes a video, often it's an image prompt. And whatever the prompt is, we offer it up, and the people on the call generate as many words as they can based on their response, emotional response or intellectual response to the prompt. And once they get those words generated, then we go around the the Zoom room and take one word from each person, jot that down so everybody has, say, 25 words, which comprise a community list. And, And then we ask everybody to take their personal list, the words they jotted down in the two minutes, and the community list. And then we ask them to generate some kind of writing within the 10-minute time frame. Some people will write a haiku. Other people will put the pen down and they'll write like crazy for 10 minutes and have a, a whole lot to read when they go into the Zoom rooms. We usually split, it, split people into three Zoom rooms, eight to 10 people each, and they will read their work. Like I said, haikus or something longer or something in between. And when people are finished reading and getting a few thumbs up, some claps and a smile or two, they return to home base or base camp, as I like to call it. And we gather for a few more minutes before the top of the hour. And we then say goodbye to some and other people stay on the call. And we have a salon conversation about all different kinds of topics that are tightly or loosely connected to writing. And then after the salon conversation is over, we say goodbye and return again the next Saturday and and do it all over. I'm unpacking this a bit more today than I do on most of the shows, almost all of the shows, because I have a guest and I want to get right to the guest. Today I'm going it alone. I don't have a guest. I do have some more guests lined up for you as time goes on, but I do like to sometimes just get on the mic and offer my thoughts and reflections over the time we have together, which is an hour. And with that in mind, I just wanted to talk a bit about this imaginative storm concept that I've been working on with Allegra Houston for the last couple of years, and especially wanted to frame it around the Saturday morning calls we've been doing for over a year now. 
I've been teaching some form of presentation, writing, and communication for years. And when Allegra and I started to concentrate on this imaginative storm writing project, I expected to go deeper into the material I'd been working with since the early 90s. What I didn't expect was to have such a profound experience around how the work that I thought I was familiar with changed the way I approach writing. And when I say approaching writing, I imagine you think sitting down at the desk and generating words on a computer or on a blank piece of paper with a fountain pen. And of course, that's partially how it's done. The other part of it is how you think when you approach the page, what you think about, how you let your mind wander, how messy you're willing to be, how fanciful, how imaginative, how unconcerned about getting it right, getting the sentences in order. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not disrespecting sentence order, nor am I tossing grammar to the wind, or am I encouraging you to not give a damn about what you write? On the contrary, what I have learned working with Allegra in this imaginative storm writer work is that the need to organize your material into a form you can present to the public or to people who would like to read your work, that need is essential to the process. What I've also discovered, at least this was in my case, I was working too close to the final product. So often I was working too close to the final product, rather than working in the imaginative stormy proposition that we all have, a bit like the dream state, uh, a bit like the improvisational fast notes you might hear a jazz player throw down on a saxophone. I have understood that approach for many years, but I didn't really get it until Allegra and I started to focus on the idea of writer training rather than learning how to write. We realized that everybody knows how to write something. You learned how to write a sentence early in your school years. You learned how to write essays. You learned how to write memos text, letters, on and on it goes, probably this very day you have written two or three messages to somebody you know, maybe short little messages, maybe long messages, maybe you've dictated something into your, your computer or your iPhone, who, who knows, I do a lot of dictation. And with all of the experience I've had, it never occurred to me to think of approaching the process of writing from the point of view of training, like one would do push-ups in a spa or a gym with a trainer. And the idea popped out in a really simple way when a friend of ours, Wendy, came over to Allegra's house one afternoon for tea, and we were sitting around chatting, talking, as I tend to do and as Allegra tends to do. And I imagine you have those experiences yourself. How many times have you had a good conversation in a coffee shop or with close friends? And you can go anywhere in a conversation. That afternoon, Wendy wanted to know more 
about how Allegra had written her book, Love Child, a memoir of family lost and found, about growing up in a very big, rambunctious, uh, creative family. And she, Allegra, was moved around a fair amount, not because she was rejected, because she was cared about. And so Wendy asked, how did you, how did you get into that? How are you able to do that? And Allegra just threw out the idea with no thought, really. She said, oh, I couldn't have done it without Nave's imaginative storm writer training. And I looked at Allegra and thought, my goodness, we've been teaching this idea now for 20 years, off and on. Sometimes she and I teach it together. Sometimes we do it separately. And we've never, ever thought of it as training. Training, like go to the gym, do your push-ups. And so Wendy thought, wow, well, could I get some of that training too? How do I get trained? Well, that was when we realized we had the name for it, but we didn't have any methodology. We didn't have an approach. We'd never really thought of it as, as training. As I've already said, what we would do with our workshops, we would take the imaginative storm concept, which comes from a series of experiences I had many years ago when I was teaching performance poetry to school kids all over the country. I would say in the early 90s, when this idea first popped out, and it wasn't an idea I thought of. Imaginative storming. Back in those years, in the business world, brainstorm was the word. Most conferences had subjects on brainstorming. How do you brainstorm this? How do you brainstorm that? And I was thinking, hmm, brainstorm. So when some teachers asked me, to teach the students writing instead of performance as a way of studying poetry, I said, sure, I'll be glad to do that. And of course, I didn't quite know where I was going to go, which of course is the core of what imaginative storm training is all about. You really don't know where you're going to go. What you know when you do imaginative storm work, you know you're going to go somewhere. And you know if you trust your own intuition, your own creative beats, your own style, that somewhere will always sound like you, look like you. It will be in your voice, if you will. So years ago when I was asked to connect with the students and teach writing, I didn't really understand that when you let your imagination storm, all those benefits would, em would emerge almost instantly. Never occurred to me that that would happen. What I was thinking when I went into the classroom, I was thinking more, how can I get these students to participate? How can I get these students to engage, not so much with me, get them to engage with each other and their own creative impulses, their own impulse to say something, and how can I get them to build out from that with a sense of success and playfulness rather than the serious weight of getting the right thing done so you can turn it into the teacher and, and maybe you'll get a good grade. Nothing wrong with getting good grades. Nothing wrong with achieving excellence. But sometimes when that's what you set out to do, as many students have discovered over the years, and maybe you've discovered that as well, when you set out to do that, you end up not actually succeeding at much. You, you're stifled, you're tight, and you feel, well, like you didn't quite succeed. 
I was thinking about all that when I stood up and agreed to teach these students. And I was thinking really about the refrigerator poetry you've seen on refrigerators, maybe occasionally, especially at a party. You are having dinner, after dinner, maybe you walk to the refrigerator and you see the magnetic words, and you rearrange those words in a way that you don't give much thought to other than, hmm, I kind of like the way this goes together. Gee, I'll move this over here and I'll, I'll put those angel wings with the telephone pole. And by golly, I think I like the idea of a beer bottle with a lug nut. Hmm, what about the book with the shoelace? And you put all of those magnets together with those odd little combinations and Lo and behold, you look at the refrigerator and you step back and you think, well, that's not so bad. I wonder how I did that. Well, you did it because you were giving almost no thought. You were, if you will, storming your imagination or actually letting your imagination do what it is naturally inclined to do. So when I stood in front of those students, not quite sure what to do, I thought, hmm, what if we took that approach? What if instead of taking words from my memory and putting them on the board, what if I just ask the students to give me words? What if I encourage them to, to play? And that's exactly what I did. And, and I thought, well, what will I call it? And I was there with the idea of the brainstorm. And I almost made the mistake of calling it a brainstorm. It wouldn't really have been a mistake. They would have all known what I was talking about. But I said, why don't we do an imaginative storm instead? Let's storm our imaginations rather than storm our brains. Now, I wonder, is the imagination and the brain closely tied? I suspect so. I often think of my brain sitting above my shoulders in my head. I never really think about where my imagination is geographically located in my body. So by asking the students to storm their imaginations, I was also inviting them into the proposition that they could pull from their dreams as much as they could from reality. So the way I did it was very simple. And if you're a teacher, you can do this too. It's not that hard to do, really. I said to the students, somebody give me an image. So Johnny in the back row raised his hand and said zebras. I wrote zebras down. That's not a bad image, actually. I've, I've always liked zebras. They're fun. And I said, okay, we need something for those zebras to do. What, what could the zebra do that would be unexpected? Susie on the third row raised her hand and said, swinging on a trapeze underneath a big top. So I wrote, swinging on a trapeze underneath a big top. And I said, this is great, zebras underneath a big top, swinging on a trapeze. How many times have you ever seen that? And the students were going, well, I've not really seen it. You could see it in their eyes. They were thinking this. And I said, can you imagine it? And they nodded, yes. I said, but we need one more thing. Let's, let's give the zebra something to do. What would the zebra be doing while it's swinging on the trapeze? And Jackie on the front row raised her hand and said, eating a pineapple. So I wrote, eating a pineapple. So we had zebra on a trapeze underneath the big top, eating a pineapple. Well, does that make sense? Maybe, maybe not. You and I have never seen a zebra on a trapeze underneath the big top eating a pineapple, nor had any of those students. And yet, 
as far as they were concerned and as far as I was concerned, then and now, it was possible for a zebra to do that. Their imaginations allowed it. So then I said, I want all of you to take two minutes and I want you to write down as many words as you possibly can on your paper based on this image of the zebra on a trapeze under the big top eating a pineapple. And I demoed it by asking them to shout the image out as loud as they could. And when they shouted, which they loved because nobody ever asked them to shout at the top of their lungs, zebra on a trapeze underneath a big top eating a pineapple. And of course you couldn't understand it. It was a cacophony of, of enthusiastic students. I turned with the chalk. We were using chalk back then. And I wrote as fast as I could, as many words as I possibly could until I ran out of steam. I don't think I spent two minutes doing that, but I did spend speedy time. I just let whatever happened, happen. And there I had all these words on the board. And then I said to the students, okay, now I want you to take two minutes and I want you to do the same thing. Just follow the beats, follow your instincts. And if you, for whatever reason, are not able to think of a word, just make a squiggle and keep moving until a word pops out. Doesn't matter how many words you get, but you can try for as many as you like. So I would say, you have two minutes, and I said, go. So the students would write like crazy, and of course the students on the front row, the good students, because for some reason they felt like they needed to sit on the front row, they really wrote. They were generating as many words, competitive little things, Anyway, at the end of the two minutes, I said, time, how many words did you write? And so, of course, the ones on the front row would raise their I got 47. I got 60. They were competing, you know, characters in the back. They were like, well, I got three. You know, I was too busy looking at the bluebird out the window or whatever. Didn't matter. Three or 60 didn't matter. So I went around the room and asked each student to give me one word. And then I asked the teacher to be the scribe which put the teacher in the role of, of helping, facilitating without being in charge, just simply writing the words down. And I always hoped that the teacher wouldn't be able to spell one of the words, and that would happen every now and then. A student would come up with something and the teacher couldn't spell it, and she would say, well, how do you spell that? And then the students would say, oh, I can spell it didn't happen often, but once in a while it did, and it was amusing when it did happen. But mostly the teachers were really fantastic, and they took the notes, and of course most teachers know how to write beautifully, and so you give them a chance to show off their work. That was all going on. I went around the room, and I got a list of words from everybody. I asked those students to write the list of words down that I was also having the teacher write on the, on the, on the board. So at the end of that process, the students had the community list, which was the list on the board. They also had my list of words I had generated earlier, and they had their own list. So they were working with probably 80 different words. So like I said earlier, the idea with these students was to create an environment where they could really participate and influence the work of the other members of the class, as well as influence imaginatively their own work with very little effort. So by the time we got to this spot, these 
students were warmed up. They were excited. They weren't really thinking about, gee, I'm going to write something and turn it into my teacher. They were thinking, this is a lot of fun. I don't know what's going to happen next. What, what's going on? What's going to happen? The writing process was being primed by curiosity and imagination rather than having to turn the assignment in and, and get a good grade. I'm a big fan of turning in good work. The whole point of the imaginative storm is to create work you can be proud of and you want to share, which if you're a student means turning it into the teacher. But it's not an assignment that you have to do. It becomes something that you are proud enough of to let anybody read, including the teacher. And when you have that kind of energy in your finished product, your odds of doing well in school rise considerably. And by the way, if you're a parent, you can use this technique with your children. And you don't even have to be in school for this to work. It's good fun. It's something the whole family can do. So anyway, back to the classroom. We got one word from each student, and the teacher wrote that word on the board. And then I asked for a volunteer to come up and read the words on the board. And I don't have the words now, of course, that was a long time ago, but what I do have is a list of words we collected from our Imaginative Storm Saturday writing prompt of the week session a couple of weeks ago. So whenever I asked the students to come forward and read the list on the first round, they always read it without much emphasis. One, two, three, four, just getting through it, and that was that. They had been trained to read lists like that. They were not trained to look for provocative images or odd combinations as they read. So this is what it sounded like when the first student came up to the board. And like I said, I'm going to be reading from a list of words that we generated and not one the students generated. Here we go. Hovering. Family. Sign of hope. Latte love. Gossamer. Image, refuse, drink, together, holding, need, hummingbird, medicine, hand, steamy, embrace, dove, pain, world, union, barista, heart, hand, warming, symmetric, cappuccino, fade, away, circus, zip zip, love. So as you could tell, I didn't emphasize anything. I just read the list, and that's how most students do it. Occasionally, one will come up and push the list a little bit, as I call it, and and a few images will pop out. So when I thanked the student and asked the students to sit back down, nothing wrong with what the student did. It was fine. In fact, it was exactly what I wanted to set the stage for the next beat. That was when I asked the students if they saw anything on the list, saw any words they could put together and turn into something odd, something that they hadn't thought of before. And I also asked them if there would be another way to read the list. Could they read the list and find combinations as they read through that would be humorous or serious or provocative? And I asked some of them to do that. So they did say things like, hovering hand embrace, 
Cappuccino Union, Hardaway Circus, Zip Zip Family. They started to put those words together, so I asked somebody to come up and volunteer to read the list, looking for the opportunities to emphasize things that were sitting there. And here's where I introduced order. Here's where I introduced form and order. Right in the middle of the imaginative storm, they weren't thinking about form and, and order. They were thinking about just playful, imaginative, messy stuff. And suddenly there they were. The messiness, the imaginative messiness, and the, and the order merged when I asked them to consider the list as an orderly proposition rather than the, a stormy proposition. You know, of course, the next thing I did was to get a volunteer to come forward and stand in front of the board and read the list with emphasis, looking for interesting combinations as the list unfolded aloud. And so here's what it may have sounded like. I don't remember, but I'll read the list that I just offered. Here we go again. A hovering family. Sign of hope, latte love, gossamer image, refuse drink together, holding humming need, medicine hand stems embrace, dove pain world union, barista heart, hand warming symmetry, cappuccino fade away, circus zip zip love. So as you can see, with little effort at all, I found some images in that list and then of course as I look at the list drink together humming cappuccino fade away heart union medicine hand refuses sign of hope all of those images actually make sense some of them more logical than others but regardless of whether the image makes complete sense or fanciful sense or dream state sense it still feeds the imagination stirs the imagination up and, and gives it energy. So then the last thing we did before I would get the students to write, I asked one or two to come up and make up a story based on the words. Let their imaginations just use the words on the board in some kind of verbiage that may or may not make sense. So here I'll give you an example using the same list. I always enjoyed asking the students to come up and do that because None of them had ever done it before. I'd done it many times as I proceeded through this imaginative storm work all those years ago. I was very, very good at it. And I say that kind of ironically because the students who had never done it before would get up there. <laughs> and they were terrific. Some of the material they generated off the top of their heads was full of energy and, and life and, and, and levity which often impressed the teachers because most of the time, many of the students who came up to do this improvisational work had never done anything like that before. So I'll take a run at the list I just read and see what kind of improvisational thing I can come up with. I was hovering not too far from where my family existed a sign of hope. You see, family is always a sign of hope. Even if you're far flung somewhere in another land having latte love over a cup of coffee that you ordered just so you can think that you are home. 
There's some kind of image that I refused to drink the other day when I was together holding the humming hands. Needless to say, I felt the medicine in my fading days coming across my circus zip-zip. Your heart and my heart were unions in the pain of what was embraced by the stems that came out of the humming. The birds, the humming, the rhythm, the beat, a union, the barista, had no story to tell when I ordered the latte love. All I got was a hummingbird in the middle of a cup of coffee. And there I was, sign of hope, one more time. Did that make any sense? On one level, sure, it made sense. It had a bit of a story to it. Would it make sense if I wrote it down and gave it some line breaks and turned it into a poem? It might. I would, of course, have to edit it. I would have to take it toward the creative form a bit. But I'll bet you if I put that down in verse form, I would find something you would appreciate. Conversely, if you did the same thing with this list and you put it down in verse form, whatever you improv, you would find elements in your improvisational work that would stand up on the page. Not all of them. Enough to give you some forward momentum. And that's just what happened with the students. After I had a few students up to do their improvisational work like I just did for you, I asked them to take 10 minutes and write something based on the lists of words they had in front of them and the, the words on the port. I made sure to remind them not to worry about spelling, not to worry about grammar. Stay in the mess. Stay in the prep. I also reminded them that the way they were feeling right now, the smiles that were flashing around the room, that's the way you want to feel when you're working toward developing a piece of writing. And I reminded them that they could use this technique for any kind of classroom writing they were doing. So I asked them to relax. I told them I would time them for 10 minutes and asked them to start writing now. They did. They put their heads down and, oh my goodness, they went to town. And the next time I did it, and the next, and the next, and the next, and even now, all these years later, people put their heads down and they have something to work with, some energy, some forward movement. And they write, and really good stuff comes out. So afterwards, in those early days, I would go around the room and get a few volunteers to read their work. I was working in the school systems, and if you've ever worked in a school system, you know there's, there's a clock on everything. Students have to get to lunch. They have to go here. They have to go there. The periods are rather short. So it's a bit of a hurry to get all this done in a short time frame. And if I had an hour and a half, I would stretch it out more. If I only had 45 minutes, I would tighten it up. But the main object was to get these students to just finally have something on the paper they could read aloud back to performance. And I would go around the room and get a few people to read, and they would. The thing that was most impressive about it, and I still remember this fondly to this day, the look on the teacher's face. Each teacher had this questioning look on the face. Whoa, where did that come from? How did that happen so fast? I also would like to think there was a bit of relief because they could see how they could employ the same 
technique with these students after I left. And I will say that over the years, many teachers did employ that. They started to incorporate the imaginative storm into their classrooms as a way of getting the students prepped, warmed up, ready to go to, to write their material. And after a few students read and the rest of the group applauded, I apologize for not having enough time for everybody to contribute. They understood. I had arranged ahead of time with the teacher to give the students extra credit if they turned in the work they generated. So that was the last thing we did. I said, would you please write this work down on a piece of paper, edit it a bit, get it ready to go, and turn it in to the teacher. And then, of course, the teacher would say, and when you turn your work in, I'll give you extra credit. Couldn't have been easier. All they had to do was copy what they had written and give it to the teacher. They had extra credit. So this entire experience was designed to create successful forward momentum with these students in a way that they didn't feel stressed about, they didn't feel obligated to do again, they just enjoyed. So when Wendy sat at the table there with Allegra and with me and said to Allegra, how did you write your memoir? Allegra looked at me and said, I couldn't have done it without Nave's training. And I chuckle even now when I tell you what Allegra said because it had never occurred to me after all that time to call it training. Well, once we got that idea that it was training, that what I had been doing with those students all those years ago, and I did it in thousands of classrooms. I toured the country for I don't know how long. Years and years, that's how I earned my living, and I taught classroom after classroom, and I used this technique over and over, and every time I did it, it worked. The teachers were happy, the students were pleased, and everybody got extra credit. So when the idea of the training came up, Allegra said to me, and I couldn't have agreed more, she said, let's put together some modules, let's put together 10 modules, create something that actually is a training program. The kind of programs that personal trainers offer you when you go to the gym and sign up for training. So Allegra and I worked for almost two years developing this process. And as we were developing the modules, we also started inviting people to come to our Imaginative Storm Writing Prompt of the Week sessions on Saturday. And as I said, the list I read just now comes from one of the lists from our Saturday morning group. Unfortunately, I'm not able to read the pieces of writing the students did all those years ago, but I can give you two examples of writing our participants did on Saturday morning based on that list. You'll have a sense after you hear these how form takes shape from the imaginative mess. So Genevieve Hendry writes this, Of the womb, they are beholden to hold it all together with right-handed calloused love, hovering in a symmetrical humming union, holding all the pain in the world, refusing to drink the hummingbird medicine, a morning dove moves, zip, zip, steaming into the mystic interstice where all is heartwarming and keen to embrace the never fade away from the arista barista who refills the cups of anyone 
that asks, ignoring the gossamer circus, caught with the two birds in the hand, giving steamy embraces of latte love, heart and hand warming love that hovers over a table set for two. We have all we need, in calloused hands drenched in hummingbird medicine, surely and gently cupping a sign of hope, an ephemeral scion that never fades away but rests, knowing we are all in this together. And that was Genevieve's contribution from her 10 minutes of writing on that one particular Saturday morning based on the words that I read. And you could hear those words also in her piece as well. And then June Kenoshita offered a different take on the same list. Here's what she wrote, and she didn't title it. All she wanted, all she ever needed was that love that never fades. She, a mother, he, her chosen child, in a gossamer embrace, a fragile foam more powerful than the destructive forces of the world. We are in this together, a family hovering, two birds in hand, refusing to drink the poison. The doves of morning gurgled softly outside her window. We are here. We must hold it together. You, you, it is all up to you and the strength of your heart all the pain that you must endure and overcome, you hold it all in your hands. And that was June's take on the list. You might be asking, why in the world does that happen so fast? You might have been taught that you have to suffer to write. You may be thinking, I can only write when the muse hits me. You may be feeling like, gee, there are only a few people out there blessed with such gifts. I am not one of them. Those are all old, worn out ways of viewing things in my opinion. What we have discovered in this training, we've discovered how easy it is to throw oneself into the mess and come out with something like Genevieve's work or what June did there's something about this kind of work, the messiness of it, the generative part of it, that feeds the form, the creative form, in a way that at least has stunned me. I've been doing this now with this group on the Saturday call for over a year. I'm facilitating it. It has, tra it has changed me dramatically in terms of how I think. And that's why I'm so bloody enthusiastic about sharing it with everybody and getting people aware of, of what's right there in front of them. Which is to say, generating writing from your experience, from your imaginative core, your imaginative storm, is very easy to do as long as you don't get wrapped up in making it good. In fact, a lot of the work that we do appears bad in the sense of the grammar is not right, it doesn't quite make sense, it could use some work, it could use some revision. Well, yeah, that's the whole point. And even calling it bad writing, when you think of it from this perspective, is there such a thing as bad writing? All writing has to start from the mess we often will call the mess bad, but the mess 
isn't thinking of itself as bad. The mess is just the mess. Like the storm doesn't think of itself as bad. The storm comes across, rips up the up the forest with the wind and the lightning and things fall apart and then they reassemble again. Hardly a mess. It's just making way for more form to emerge out of what already naturally exists. And in your case, you are the one who naturally exists. That's why this is a really interesting proposition. And I'm excited about it because it seems to work for everybody. I can't think of one person who's tried this and failed at it. They always generated something that surprised them. And the phrase that we often use in the imaginative storm work comes from a poem by Charles Wright. And the poem's titled Lonesome Pine Special. And in that poem, he asks this question. What is it inside the imagination that keeps surprising us at odd moments when something is given back we didn't know we had had in solitude, spontaneously, and with great joy? Charles Wright asks that question, asking it from a general point of view. What is it inside the imagination that keeps surprising us? And I love that because he's including all of us, the whole, whole world, all the people in the world. You can also ask the question like this. What is it inside your imagination that keeps surprising you at odd moments when something is given back you didn't know you had had in solitude? spontaneously and with great joy in solitude spontaneously and with great joy that sums it up don't you think we write in solitude because we do it on our own it's spontaneous because the imaginative storm generates the spontaneous work and then of course the joy emerges I think that's why anyone who takes this approach can generate material that surprises them. And after all, when you're doing your creative work, when you're surprising yourself, you're transforming yourself. You're putting yourself in situations that give you more insight than you had before you put yourself in those situations. And you do have to go into it in solitude because after all, you are your own source. And from that source, you possess a massive amount of information that you don't even know you have. One of the themes in the work that we've done over the last couple of years, and I think we're going to title our book on the subject of how to write using these imaginative storm techniques. I'm pretty sure we're going to title the book, Write What You Don't Know. Now that might sound kind of odd to you. How could you write what you don't know? Well, when you think about your memories and you think about your life and you think about all the things you've done, how much do you remember? How much do you actually know? How much can you recall? And so much of what's happened to us throughout our lives, we remember and we remember fondly and we can tell the stories over and over and over. That said, when you're telling the most familiar story you've ever told, you don't remember or don't know maybe what time of day it happened. You probably don't know 
How many cars were in the parking lot? You probably don't know what color uh, shirt you had on or what kind of shoes you were wearing. You probably don't know what was on the menu if you were in a restaurant. These are all things you can discover. So when you write what you don't know, you are inviting yourself to discover things forgotten, things that may be buried deep inside of you, tidbits, not anything that significant. And yet when you come upon it in solitude and spontaneously, there's a great joy of discovery. So writing what you don't know from the point of view of the imaginative storm and letting the messiness fly around, letting that zebra swing back and forth on the trapeze, under the big top, eating a pineapple, and maybe when the zebra swings back, the zebra is eating an ashtray, or maybe the zebra is playing a trombone. Who knows what the zebras can do? I guess zebras are magic creatures. They can do anything. So you can see when you let yourself go with some imaginative leap like the zebra, not too far away from that zebra may lie some undiscovered nuggets in your story. Nuggets that feel true, that are true. Things you haven't thought of in ages. And when those things pop out, you'll find yourself thinking aloud maybe, I didn't know that. I did, didn't remember that till just now. And to put this in the practical terms, something you can do right now if you're listening to this and thinking, gee, I'd like to take this for a spin. You can generate a list of words based on the room that you're in. Or you can generate a list of words based on an idea you're thinking about. Or even a story you want to, to write. And the list of words will m have some connection to the idea of the story. They also might go far afield from it. You can list 60 or 70 words if you like. Like those students on the front row back when I first started to do this. It, there was always one that got 60 words. How they did it, I don't know. But you could put 60 words together, and from that list, you can start developing something. Now, here's another thing you can do. I'm working on a piece of writing right now, loosely called a memoir. It's because it is about memory. And what I'm doing, and I have Allegra Houston to thank for this. This is one of her tips she gives in, in the memoir writing class that we sometimes offer. She said to me, write from any place you please. Think of the least significant memory you have and start there. And don't worry about order. Don't worry about where that memory or thought will lead you. Just let it take you somewhere. She said it could be a broad topic like some of the big heavy lifting issues, money, sex, family, community, romance, those are the biggies. Or it can be something simple like me remembering when my mother took my brother David and took me to Mrs. Meadows' dry goods store when we were in elementary school. Starting each year, we would go to Mrs. Meadows' store in August just before school started and buy some jeans new pair of shoes. We were growing boys, so we grew out of our shoes. Some shirts and other things that we needed to start school. 
And Mrs. Meadows helped us fit our shoes, put the socks on our little feet, and was very kind to both my brother David and very kind to me. I enjoyed Mrs. Meadows. Mrs. Meadows' store is no longer there on Haywood Road in Asheville. That said, there is a, a store there where Mrs. Meadows' store once was. As I was writing about the shoes and the jeans, I remembered that my mother took great pride in washing our jeans and starching them and putting them on stretchers so that they were very tight and the starch hardened so when we went to school we had very sharp clean jeans to wear to our first day of class and you know she did that throughout the whole school year and even to this day I still love to iron and I still have spray starch on hand on the shelf and I will spray my jeans till they're as stiff as they can be and I iron those jeans and when I put my jeans on <laughs> spontaneously and with great joy somewhere in my dressing up to go out for wherever I'm going in my adult life as in right now I have a feel for how Mrs. Meadows handled my brother and handled me when we were those little boys getting ready to go to school and my mother always made great care with our clothes and to this day I make great care with my clothes so in writing this memoir I wrote about Mrs. Meadows store and I went other places in that writing I limited it to three pages I write three pages Allegra also encourages ten minutes and of course ten minutes is the length of time everybody writes on the Saturday calls as well as in our workshops when we offer writing prompts everything is ten minutes either way ten minutes three pages keep it short right into the memory and see where it takes you what you will discover when you do it you'll stop thinking about is this good writing am I going to do something important here and the reason why you'll stop thinking from that point of view is because you will be tracking discoveries things you didn't know things you didn't remember they'll start to pop out and when that happens there's a good chance you will be surprised and you will feel a great deal of joy and before we come to the end of our time together which is past approaching I would like to read to you the 10 modules Allegra and I created to give you a sense of how this thinking ladders together and we call them sessions or modules and here's here's the 10 that we have and this is the order which will give you an idea of how one session leads to another and each session has four prompts in it so at the end of the 10 sessions you have 40 different pieces of writing generated in five or ten minute time frames so here are the sessions you'll find in the training number one spin the kaleidoscope of your mind write playfully number two let rip write without trying session three common senses write without criticism session four go there write what you don't know session five elemental alchemy write with curiosity session six social ease write without attachment session seven tender spots write without censorship session eight 
Take Yourself Back, Write with Courage. Session 9, There's No Story of Nothing Changes, Write in Safety. And Session 10, The Oxymoronic Inversion, Write On. And those are the 10 sessions, the 10 modules. And when you put all that together, your imagination storms and you create form from the imaginative storm to the creative form. What is it inside your imagination that keeps surprising you? At odd moments when something is given back, you didn't know you had had in solitude, spontaneously and with great joy. So there you go, my friends. My take on the imaginative storm and the training and what you can do if you want to just throw yourself in into your own work. There's a lot of truth in it. There's a lot of truth in writing what you don't know. You discover so, so, so many things. Not to mention the fact you'll entertain yourself with memories you haven't thought of in years. I came up with one memory about going to the Gentleman's Gallery clothing store in downtown Asheville many years ago and buying beautiful trousers and shirts and a sports jacket. I haven't thought about that in ages. Does it matter? Will it be in my memoir? Who knows? But I do remember it well and I remember having such a great conversation with Alan, the fellow who, who owns it. And if you're in Asheville and you cross the street from the public library, you'll find the Gentleman's Gallery, which is still there on Haywood. That's where I bought my clothes. I remembered that. There are things that you will remember when you write into your own story. And we have arrived at the top of the hour. And I am remembering to say thank you for listening to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com. If you're interested in any of Walter's music, Walter's a terrific singer-songwriter, and I think he uses some of our imaginative storm techniques once in a while to, to write a song, or at least I hope he does. Devine Dial, thank you for holding WPVM-FM together, keeping it all organized, and that station is as clean as a whistle, and it has a great little museum in there all about radio. Thanks to Bean Dial for keeping WPVM-FM together, and if you'd like to know more about WPVM-FM, you can go to WPVM-FM.org. And if you'd like to reach out to me, nave at jamesnave.com, you can always reach me there. And my website is jamesnave.com, and I've talked a whole lot about the imaginative storm. You can drop in any time on Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Mountain Time and noon Eastern Time. Be part of the work we do. You get a feel for it. Maybe you'll write something in 10 minutes that you will be very proud of. I think you will. So that pretty much sums it up for right now. I'm closing this show up in Manila, where I'm spending a couple of months. I'm looking out on a rainy day. It's very tropical here and very warm which has kept me moving throughout this whole hour, telling you all about the imaginative storm. I even heard some thunder while I was making this show, so there you go. All right, thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. And I will 
catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line. Must be love or some seduction. 